You are listening to the Coach's Ed Podcast exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. This is Pablo with Rush Coach Development. We're really happy today to have Chris P., a great colleague of mine here to to um, go over the entire grassroots process. How are you doing, Chris? I'm very well, Pablo. Thank you. How are you? My boy. Very well, very well. Well, th- first of all, thank you very much for being here. And that's the most important thing. And um, I think I think this is a wonderful opportunity for everybody um, to learn about how to coach uh, grassroots. So if you don't mind me jumping right on the topic, um, Chris, do, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, give, give us a little bit of, of your background. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Pablo. So, yeah, my name is Chris Paniotto, known as Chris P., I am currently uh, one of the directors of coaching at Virginia Rush, but also the developmental, grassroots developmental technical director for Rush Soccer. How I got here, I'll start the journey real quick. Uh, grew up or started growing up in Birmingham, England to Greek Cypriot parents. My dad played professionally. My mum was a florist. I uh, just loved football. I was born into it. Uh, it was in my blood, as it were. And uh, one of the earliest pictures that my parents have was uh, me sitting in the baby bouncer with the soccer ball right at my feet. Um, played, played in England, played collegiately, played for Solio College of Technology, where we won four state cups, three regionals, equivalents, and one national championship. And then I started coaching at the age of 17, got my FA preliminary coaching badge. And then at the age of 21, came over to the US and A. Um, Did summer camps through major league soccer camps and did that for many years. Um, Ended up in Wisconsin, where I was uh, one of the founding members of Wisconsin Rush and served there. And then about six years ago, moved to Virginia Rush. Uh, Got my UEFA B license, got my USSF B license and uh, national youth license. and, And I've done some stuff around the grassroots and chose to specialize about 15 years ago. In the in the zone one, as it's known, or the foundation stage, um, so five through twelve years old. So that's that's where that got me. It's been it's been quite a journey, Chris. Um, now let let me ask you something out of curiosity. Um, why did you decide to specialize in grassroots? And if you say because I like it, that's a perfectly there's a there's a perfect perfect answer, of course. But yeah, so. That's a great question, Pablo. I decided to specialize in grassroots because I think so many people fall in love with the glamour of the travel soccer and working with the best players. Um, so as a, I'm actually a trained PE teacher as well. So I, I did a little bit about learning and how people learn, learning to learn. And I just felt that we had such a big base uh, of children playing and the focus was always on the best players and and 11 and older um, but we kind of neglected on you know how do these players become the best players you know how do we get this potential to continually rise um, and get the best out of children from early ages so I was really into how do we keep as many children playing in the best possible environment for as long as possible so that's why I chose to get into the grassroots aspect Truly true, and and you and you bring up a, a really good point. I, I, 
I've always said this. I don't know if I read it anywhere or if I have it scientifically validated somehow, but how, you know, the, the reason why we love soccer is, I think it's because we, we associate it with positive experiences and memories that, that we had when we were children. So it's, it's true. It's like everybody falls in love with the glamour of, you know, working with older athletes, older players. Um, but it all comes from from there, doesn't it? Yeah, I, you know, I think you know people fall in in love with the stage, uh, with the game at different stages. I think sometimes you know we're too eager to teach the sport instead of teaching the children that are in front of us. I think if we can teach the children that are in front of us and captivate them and make sure they have fun, um, and I'm not just talking about fun, silly, la la la. I'm talking about fun, experimenting, learning, giving them choices and make it fun and get into their world. I think they'll enjoy it more. So therefore, they'll do it more. And then, you know, they'll stay with our sport longer. Very true. Very true. But that's great because it actually leads to my next question that that I was going to ask you. That is, what do you think is fundamental for coaching grassroots? So number one, you have to know who's in front of you. Number two, you have to make it fun. Number three, you have to know it's about the children, not the coach. So from under six to under eight, I think most of it is we're not really coaching, we're facilitating and we're creating that environment and getting children in their own world, um, being in their world. So it might be story driven for these ages. Sometimes it might not look like soccer. Sometimes it might be the kids are walking with the ball And they're on a safari hunt looking for animals, you know, but they're dribbling the ball with them. So there's hidden learning. Um, I think these are key things here. Uh, I also think it's important that children get a voice and a choice. I think it's important that coaches show that they care by actually caring. Um, so getting to know the child away from the sport first and then, you know, just teaching the child, then it's easier to teach the sport. I follow, I follow. And let me ask you a little bit more in depth about something that you said, because it's not the first time that I hear it. And it's so true, right? Um, I, I'm not sure if it was Jean Piaget or Maria Montessori that said that playing is the work of children. But um, um, it's what you said about we're not teaching, we're facilitating. Yeah. And I heard that before. I heard a lot of people, I heard very well-renowned people saying, like, I don't even call myself coach. At that level, I just coach my, I, I call myself soccer facilitator. Um, can, can you give us a little bit more on, on that topic? Yeah, absolutely. So the word coach was from the, the European words. I think it might be from, uh, I forget where the, the, the word originated. But if you look at the old words is of, a, of a stage coach, you know, these coaches, you know, the coach in England, for example, that's the bus that you guys call over here. Those, those coaches are, are used to take people on a journey. And, you know, everybody has their own journey. So as a coach, I think it's our responsibility to take each child on this journey using our sport as the vehicle. So we can be child, childish without being childlike. So in other words, we have to get into the world of the child and, and live through their eyes and experience the game through, through them. Um, so, for example, there's been tremendous strides been made 
um, for small-sided games. The federation years ago and U.S. Youth Soccer, who championed it, they said, hey, this is what we're doing at the younger ages, just like Robin Russell did in the 90s in England, right? And we have, we, we have to realize that children are not many adults, that children get one childhood. So our job is to make it as memorable as possible for them, okay? Yes, there's got to be learning. Yes, there's going to be a little bit of uncomfortableness. However, we have to take these children on a journey that is uh, like their shoes. It must fit them and must be comfortable at times, but so much so that they get enthralled with our sport and continue to play. Um, when you hear about leagues in China, they have leagues for 80 plus, but it's only walking soccer. They still play, but they can only walk, you know. So we want to take these children on a journey where they become engaged lifelong participants of this great sport that's given so many uh, given so much to so many people and connects everybody around the world think about it pablo you're from argentina i was born and raised in england i started growing up in birmingham i've not finished i now live in america and by the rush logo and the soccer ball we have been united no i know no. in fact uh, it's incredible you know a couple of years ago I went on a long trip with my wife. It was uh, it was her honeymoon, actually. But, you know, we took it a little bit farther and we <laughs> went away for like three months. And um, and I kept taking, my wife thought that I was crazy. Maybe I am because I kept taking photos of people playing soccer or soccer fields. And I went to the most remote places in the world. I remember being in, at the Gili Islands and um, finding a little Indonesian kid, kid what four or five years old work walking barefoot but wearing a um an alexis sanchez um jersey or yeah, walking right next years to ago, pablo we've not seen or heard yeah. from alexis <laughs> since he signed for united exactly i think so i think it was i think it was that one um but crazy 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 or find them you know hindu um yeah impulse and right next to the temple a, a soccer field and i I couldn't understand like how 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 the how soccer becomes the like a language. It's a, it's like a common denominator for all of us, you know, in this globe. No matter where you are, no matter where you live in, absolutely, it's, it's incredible. Absolutely, it, it it it's funny because I think uh, even in the the Second World War on Christmas Day and Boxing Day, uh, the the British soldiers and the German soldiers would put down their their weapons and play. They'd play football. You know, so when you think about what football can do and how football can unite, it, it, it's unbelievable. I know it's it's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. Um, Chris, um, moving on. So something that I wanted to ask you about is you've been running the webinars program for how long now? Oh, uh, so I, I, I think I got into the role five years ago. We started doing conference calls and then. We went, we evolved from con conference calls to Google Hangouts. Um, so the webinars have been going on for maybe three, four years. I'm not sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's quite a long time. And I've seen, I've seen amazing people participate in them. And by the way, if anybody's interested in, in listening to this um, web view and these webinars, they're all on our YouTube channel, um, Coach Development. Um what do you think are 
I don't know. Can, can, tell me, tell me a couple of things that you recall from, yeah. from some guests. Like that you were like, wow, this this yeah. this guy marked me. He said one or, or or that thing, you know. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, every listen. I feel so blessed to do that. I see that as my CPDs, um, my continuing professional development to just to talk to these experts that give us up their time. So to just pick out anyone, I, I think is 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 so difficult because every single person has something valuable to say so the the most common thread with all that has been you know you have to know who's in front of you you do have to know who's in front of you you do have to understand how children learn and you also have to think about the age and the stage of development that children are in and the other thing is how can we continually make it fun right and engaging to get the best out of it so for example If we say we are a player-centered coach, okay, and we say that it's all about the players making decisions, well, is that reflective within our training sessions? Or are we standing in the middle as the coach and directing the players, saying it's player-centered, right, and then making and taking all the decisions for them by the way that we've designed our sessions, right? And just to understand that not every session is going to go as planned. You have to be adaptable. You have to see, again, who's in front of you. And you have to be ready to, to change and adapt to the change the environment to the needs of the players. Interesting. Can you think of an example for them? Like, how, how would you make an example of, like, you're trying to make it player-centered, but at the end, you took all the decisions. So, like a common yeah, thing that you see. So, for example, you know, we might go in, Um, and we might have our questions and interventions predetermined, right? But then mm. the children throw back the answers that they think we want to hear, right? So mm. we might also think that we're player-centered. And then our intervention, if we've just watched ourselves on the video, it might be four minutes long. And I might have questions, do we do this? Yes or no? So I've not really given a lot of thought process there to the players. <laughs> Where I could do something is I could say, Hey, um, Pablo, what did you notice there? Okay, so now you have to tell me what you noticed. So now, if you didn't notice, maybe I got to help you say, well, did you see this? Okay, did you think about that? So now, and, and, you know, using a coaching toolkit, obviously we don't have to stop the whole group just to talk to Pablo, but there are moments where I will have to stop the group. Then I can go team, small unit, individual player and sometimes i can do that the other way but it's just again it goes back to knowing who's in mm. front of you knowing what that player needs right by asking them a simple question the simple question could be is what do you wish i knew about you to coach you better right mm -hmm. so i uh, hopefully that answered your question no it does it does it's, it's true The, the, the way we intervene it's, it's true it's very it's, that, that that happens a lot not right that's yeah i think i i see i see i see that a lot i i see coaches you know that um they they believe that, that they deliver a great session because everything went according to the plan and you know that's not necessarily good um because maybe you you were not you were not really reading you were not really observing what was going on in the field you were just You were just trying to cover mm -hmm. what you had planned in your piece of paper, and 
it's a pretty common mistake. Actually, that's something that I wanted to ask you. Um, if you can think of any others, yeah. like what are the most common mistakes that you see at the grassroots, as a grassroots level? So, uh, you know, the most common mistakes at the grassroots level, you know, and, you know, it can be the coach talking too long, right? Mm. Um, the coach leading everything and not giving the players the voice and the choice. Now, I'm not suggesting that the children need to pick every activity, every time, everything, right? And the other mistakes that we make is we do a lot of rote learning. So we might have kids dribbling through cones, okay? Um, that doesn't transfer, okay? So it, it's great if you want to win the uh, best cone, fastest cone dribbling World Cup. But, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's got to be transfer. Can it look like the game? Can, they, can we give them moments that they may recognize that replicate the game? And, you know, at the younger ages, like I said, sometimes it doesn't look like soccer, but there is hidden learning going on uh, appropriate to the age and stage of development. So the common mistakes are coaches talking too long, coaches, uh, you know, trying to deliver uh, a session that they've seen on YouTube that they've seen Pep do and apply it to their six-year-olds and not using <clears throat> the correct context of what they've seen. True. Sure. And the final one, I would sure. say, not knowing who's in front of them, you know? Hmm. I mean, is there, are there, is there any others that you could think of that jump out there? Well, there's one that I don't really know how to expose it. Um, maybe you can help me with this one, but something that, that I see all the time is um, that the coach tries to tries to please the parent in a way, you know, because parents, the, the, this is a conversation I was having not very long ago. And um, there's, it's, it's very easy to feel empathy and, and empathy is one of our core values. And um, it's a core value this month. Pablo. So I can it's feel actually empathy. a core value this month. It yeah. is, it is. Um, and, you know, it's, I think it's really easy to feel empathy for the parent because they, they love their kids. So they want to get involved. So I don't really understand when you have coaches that, you know, they try to keep him as far as they can at all times. Of course, you don't want him to intervene. And you, you want to use your common sense. You want, you want to give some freedom, some space for the kid to experiment. But, um, you know, don't treat him like the enemy. Yeah, no, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I, 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 you know, I would agree there, Pablo. I think parents are the team behind the team. So I think as a coach, you have to communicate the club's philosophy. You have to communicate your philosophy. Um, you know, there's a big movement now with U.S. soccer and the grassroots licenses. Um, and what they do is they encourage after every game or practice, you bring the parents in, you talk to the children, you have the parents behind, and then you reinforce some of the things that you did. Okay, today we were working on dribbling. What did we have to think about when we were dribbling? Oh, had to find an opening, get our head up dribble with the, the shoelaces. I had to change direction, change speed to try and evade this player. Okay, fantastic. Okay. So now the parents know what the kids have worked on. You've checked for understanding what the kids have got from the session. Now you've had a little communication where you can, the parents can hear what you've just said. And now they can go, oh, okay. I noticed you were doing that. And maybe they could play with them at home. But more importantly, we've shaped the car ride on the way home. Right? So now... Now yeah. we've, we've 
you know, the parent might think of some of the questions we have. But it goes back to, Pablo, clear, concise communication, right? So now parents understand the, the why and now somewhat the how. Does that make sense? Exactly. No, exactly. I think I think you summarized what I was trying to say. Like I think I think a common mistake is like communication, um, especially with the parents. You know, it's it's very easy, and this has happened to me, to be accused of being very soft. Mm-hmm. You know, the children become very playful, and um, this is because the parents don't really understand why you're doing what you're doing, and um, so you have you know you have to you have to guide them don't instead of treating them like the enemy and you know isolating them communicate explain why yeah, you do listen, things we, yeah you. absolutely explain why we do this them know why it's not beneficial to yell at your child while they're playing we have to give them the science behind it we have to give them the the research behind it and they have to also hear their child hey mom dad i don't like it when you scream and yell at me because you give me different directions True. to coach and that can be confusing, you know. Um, but of course, no parent yells or screams because they want to mess their child up. Um, they want the best for their children. And I think if we can start the conversation by saying, hey, I too want what, want what is best for your child. How can we get there together? You know, uh, and just, you know, little simple things there where, you know, that can that can sh- shift the pendulum where you can make a parent into an ally. Um, as opposed to the enemy, as, you know, many people are viewing them or, you know, like you just uh, pointed out. Completely, completely, completely. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, Chris, let me ask you something. And you have such a long, ex- you, have, you know, such, such vast experience with the rush. And um, how do you apply the rush way at the grassroots, like, like give coaches a couple tips on things that you think are valuable in that sense. Yeah, I think, you know, the rush way, you know, is the handshake. I think this is easily implemented, obviously, but not uh, this time right now. Um, you know, so, yeah. um, but the, the handshake is something simple. The just, you know, core values. Can we bring in the core values? So, for example, at under six, we play 3v3. Can we bring in three core values? Can we bring in safety? Can we bring in enjoyment? Can we teach tenacity? Right? And just make those three values that are under six, the, the, the rush ways that we're, that, that we're valuing. Okay? Can we be child-centered? Can we have, you know, the rush ways four to one, uh, positive to corrective feedback? Well, Positive Coaching Alliance now tells us it's five to one corrective feedback. Can we find those moments where we're giving children a high five we're getting down to their level and you know we are you know we're we're having that human connection you know um so these are some of the things you know can we can we coach with a smile on our face it's so much harder to yell at someone when you have a smile at your face you know can we make these children (laughs) love the sport right can we make them want to get on the ball and stay on the ball um, and try and master the ball. Can we excite them about it? You know, um, I was talking recently with a, with a coach that is at Liverpool's academy. And he said that uh, every training session and game should feel like Christmas Day. And my comment is, is if you remember 
being a child, waking up on Christmas morning, the excitement and anticipation that you had, right? If we could give these children the anticipation and that level of um, excitement, oh, I think we would reach 100,000 children so much quicker, Pablo, instead of 2040. No, I I fully agree with you, and um, I think that's that's vital. That's vital. A, a lot of times in my life, parents ask me, "Hey, how is it that you're so good with kids?" And I'm like, "I wasn't, or I. It's not that I'm good with kids. I just try to remember yeah. how it was to be yeah. a kid." And and and, and yeah. So I, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, children only get one childhood. Can we make it as memorable as possible? The other thing I would say is is Try to never be anybody's last coach. Try to never be anybody's last coach. Yeah. I like that one. I do. Chris, thank you so much. Um, at the end, we, we always like, you know, giving a, a minute or, or, a, or a free space for you to, to express whatever you want. To, to all of our coaches. So this is this is your minute. Yeah, you want absolutely. to share something? Know who's in front of you. Know that it's not about you. Never be anybody's last coach. Remember that children get one childhood. Let's make it as memorable as possible. And let's enjoy this journey that we're taking children on and know that is an absolute privilege to coach, but an even higher privilege to coach within the rush system. That's a good one. That's a good one. It, and it was really concrete. <laughs> I love that one, Chris. Hey, thank you very much again. This was um, Chris P, our developmental director here, sharing a lot of knowledge with all of us. Oh. Chris, thank you. Thank you. And um, looking forward yeah, to having you thank again. Thank you for uh, taking one of my ideas. And we've been talking about doing a podcast for years. Thank you for making it a reality. And I look forward to, to dropping more and, and getting more people uh, in our Rush Coach Development Movement. My pleasure, Chris. Always, always happy to help. And thank you, everybody. This was uh, Pablo with Rush Coach Development, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank, 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 thanks for listening to Coach's Education exclusively on the Rush Podcast Network.